I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me uh, and first and foremost being so straightforward to deal with because uh, obviously that isn't the case with a lot of the people that I uh, I get onto the podcast or at least try to get onto the podca- podcast so thank oh, you. Yeah. Okay yeah I mean I don't I don't actually spend all that much time like on social media in general so uh, really? you probably yeah, you probably have more experience than than I do in a lot of ways. And so that is one of the the talking points that I wanted to discuss with you, obviously, because you've, alongside obviously being a gym owner and a, and a strength and conditioning coach, you have a, a huge following on social media and seem to have really developed a, a social media strategy. Um, so right. to hear that you don't spend that much time on social media, um. It's, I, I think it's a good thing um, because obviously we can get into it because there are so many pitfalls with social media. Uh, right. So it's, it's good to hear that you, uh, you aren't gripped by that addiction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I pay enough attention to the scope of social media and I would include things like YouTube and, and uh, other platforms besides Instagram, which is what I'm on um but like i don't have a tiktok um me neither i ref- I'm, I'm very stubborn i refuse to get a tiktok <laughs> you know i you know that's something that like since my instagram has done so well this year i've probably gotten more recommendations to go to tiktok than anything else you know people be like oh if you did this many million on instagram you would do this on tiktok and i'm like ah, i just I'll eventually hire someone to do it for me, to be honest. Um, and just to to post what I'm making over there. But I think the cool thing and probably what's worked for me so well with Instagram this year is the fact that I am focused on a singular platform. Um, I'm focused on trying to get back to people who DM me. I'm focused on trying to comment back to people who comment on my stuff, who ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I take my coaching life and put it on social media instead of just like be on social media. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, I, I would definitely look to include this in the podcast as a whole. So I, I guess we'll we'll just get rolling, man. Um, yeah, yeah. So, sure. So it's great to be back with another episode of the podcast following last week's rather successful episode with filmmaker Gabriel Clark. And we are switching gears a little bit this week, uh, but still within my realm uh, of interests uh, and hobbies. Now, my guest today, I fully credit with making my social media feeds a better place with his content. It is a pleasure to speak with gym owner and strength and conditioning coach, Seth Crowell. Seth, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for doing this. How was things? Yeah, of course. I'm really glad to be here. It's been real fun for me this year to talk to people from all different places. You know, I'm in I'm in the United States in North Carolina right now. So probably sound a little different than you probably speak a little bit different pace than you. But uh, it's this is real fun. This is fun for me, man. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, man. And as I, as I said before, hand on Instagram, if I do speak a little bit quick, just tell me to slow down. Whenever I go abroad, I do get that every now and again. <laughs> people just go slow down. So if I need to, just give me a shout. But yeah, I got first and foremost, um, our back and forth got going after I saw you show you shared 
um, a Jocko Willing podcast, I think, uh, featuring the legend that is Andrew Huberman. Um, Now, I think, obviously, it's an assumption, and hopefully it's a a correct assumption, but as soon as as I see somebody uh, sharing or or I know someone who consumes, for example, like an Andrew Huberman and, and his his uh, content and and his you know way of educating people i i also assume that um we're almost uh, sort of we consume the same sort of niche uh, sure. podcast and, and content so firstly i i just be interested to hear um do you take in andrew huberman's content and what have you learned from him sure yeah i, I do um i wouldn't say that i'm like uh a deep follower necessarily um in terms of like his specific podcast but you know there's some some folks that i enjoy listening to kind of all around and i in what i do kind of i think i understand the nuts and bolts of why things work a certain way and so listening to someone else talk about the nuts and bolts of why your brain works a certain way is really fascinating for me and what I enjoyed so much about that podcast specifically that you referenced was this like life experience and then this like science background how your brain is operating that Jocko and Huberman have kind of going back and forth mm-hmm. and I I personally enjoyed that podcast so much because I've experienced a lot of similar things I'm not a military guy but I've owned a, a business working with people one-on-one and in small group settings for over a decade now and trying to lead people, I guess, to better health and um, get them out of their own way and and all of those difficult situations in whatever kind of exercise you're pursuing. So some of the things that Jock was like, oh, I've experienced this. I'm like, yeah, I have too, but in a way different context with like way less lives on the line. <laughs> so that that podcast was fun for me because there was a lot of I think I was having a similar experience to Jocko in that podcast specifically where Huberman's just like oh yeah and this is how your brain works and then it's like this and that's why this is this way I'm like all right that's really neat I like kind of when the curtain gets unveiled to us to a certain degree so yeah definitely that resonates with me in, in what you're saying is that not exactly polar opposites, but you get two people from completely different walks of life uh, with different experiences that bring their own specialties to the table and their own wealth of knowledge. And sometimes it can create a bit of friction, but sometimes they can gel exceptionally well. I think especially from a, a scientific and almost psychological point of view, Huberman has been um, an absolute godsend over the last couple of years in how he can communicate, as you say, those those nuts and bolts of of the way the brain works or how your body reacts to things. Uh, I've learned so much from Huberman, you know, in terms of like sunlight exposure, caffeine intake, um, all those sorts of little things that may not seem like much, but when they, when you sort of accumulate those together and try to implement them within your own life, I do feel like they, they have their benefits, man, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I remember him talking about stacking exposures at, in that podcast now. 
and referencing like, all right, you get like loud music plus exercise plus caffeine intake and you're you're stacking all those nervous system kind of exposures and, and dopamine releases. And we've had a saying around here for a long time that's like your nervous system always gets paid back. Like it's like a loan shark that will lend you um, energy if you need it in a moment, but it will it will absolutely get paid back and it will stop you in your tracks with, you know, sickness or uh, whatever else to get you to slow down. And so, you know, we've, we've been talking about that stuff like that, using music to manipulate your nervous system, using caffeine to manipulate your nervous system. I'm a caffeine consumer, don't get me wrong, but you know, if you're going to ask to borrow something at some point, you're gonna have to pay it back. Yeah. And so things like that in that podcast were super fascinating for me. And to be honest, there's a very big part of my heart that goes to research. And I wish, no, I don't, I don't wish that I did research for a living. There's part of me that would want to, because there's some stuff I'd love to explore that I think could change the way people perceive stuff in the future. But I'm just more selfish than that, maybe. And I want to work with people now I don't want to like just have this stuff that like changes the landscape and I don't even get to explore it so I'm I kind of live in an anecdotal evidence type of field where it's like well these are the things people have experienced before me and coaches have been using and and they've had success so we'll implement them instead of like we have a ton of research to back all these things up and yeah. And that, you know, allows me to work with people now. Is it always perfect in terms of science? Definitely not. And it would be cool to have the science to back it up, especially being in a field where most of the science around how exercise works is kind of junk science. It's like put on by supplement companies to prove the thing that they wanted to prove in the first place, which it is not helping our field or the progression of human development at all. Okay. I understand where you're coming from in that sense. And on that note, particularly around caffeine intake. Now, this is, this is something that's just sprung to mind that would be interesting to run by you. Now, I am a bit of a, a caffeine junkie. I love pre-workouts, especially when I'm, when I'm, you know, doing free weights, um, sometimes double scoop which probably isn't the best thing for me nervous system, but I just wanted to know what your take would be on the usage of, of pre-workout. Sure. Uh, pre-workout specifically or caffeine? Probably a bit, a, a bit of both, uh, because, okay. you know, you, you find some pre-workouts, man, they're absolutely stacked with caffeine, you know, sure. some double scoops are 400 milligrams plus. Right. Yeah. I mean, Caffeine's probably the most potent ingredient in any, in any pre-workout, and it's probably the cheapest for the result that it provides, um, which is why it's really, really hard to find a non-caffeinated pre-workout because most of that, I don't know if you want to say sting that you get from uh, pre-workout and the focus that it, that it has, there are supplements that can contribute to focus and things like that, but none that do it as cheaply and as well as caffeine does. And 
you know, from a legal standpoint, there's very few things as addictive as caffeine uh, in terms of, you know, what it does to your brain and, ter- and making you want to continue doing it. So we have this one side of caffeine intake, especially if someone's new to exercise, where we could potentially start pairing caffeine and exercise, which is going to make your effort feel better. It's going to make the the process of what working out is more enjoyable because you're signaling this part of your brain that's tying in that with the caffeine. Kind of like you start drinking coffee and you don't really enjoy it at first, but eventually you really do. I mean, that's your brain is pairing what it's gaining with that taste and you can change your perception of the taste with time. So we could potentially use caffeine um, in a controlled way to, to create a positive pairing of exercise, effort, and your brain's experience. So that's a, a positive, like a potential real upside of using caffeine as a pre-workout supplement is that you're encouraging your brain to enjoy what's coming next mm-hmm. the same way you can encourage your brain to enjoy the taste of coffee yeah that, um, that's certainly very Huberman-esque in that he often talks about um linking a behavior with a dopamine release interesting yeah sense, yeah yeah so we could I've, I've actually never said or thought about that before but that's an interesting way we could perceive it um, you know, on the other hand, we know that caffeine has, a you know, four to six hour half-life, you know, meaning that on average, if you take in, let's say 200 milligrams of caffeine and let's just pick the number in the middle, let's say five hours from now, there's still going to be a hundred milligrams of caffeine in your system. And five hours after that, there's still going to be 50 milligrams in your system. So you don't get this uh, linear processing of caffeine. It's more of like an an upside down exponential drop. Mm -hmm. So even in a 24 hour period, you are essentially, if you only, uh, let me back up. Even if you only consume caffeine once in a 24 hour period every day, so like you get up every morning, you have coffee. Um, you're pretty much always going to have some measure of caffeine in your system. And that's what makes it so hard to stop. And that's also what makes it so part of what makes it so easy to get um, really accustomed to in that you don't get the same response in a month taking caffeine as you did on during the first week of taking caffeine. Uh, your body gets used to it really quickly. So given that half-life, we have a couple of issues maybe with using pre-workout. One, the time of day that you exercise. If you're work, you know, if you're an after work kind of guy and you're going to hit, you know, two to 400 milligrams of caffeine and then get a lift in, it's like, what's that doing to your sleep? And at what, what positive are you gaining from the pre-workout? Because let's say it does, let's assume just for simplicity that caffeine helps you get a better workout, which will help you get a better, you know, long-term adaptation to exercise. Okay. What adaptation are you getting that you're losing by destroying the quality of your sleep? Yeah. 
you know, then that's subjective. Like we, we don't like that's one individual. So it'd be tough to run a full study on something like that and get a lot of real detailed information because everyone responds to caffeine differently. Everyone really responds to exercise differently. There are other nervous system stressors in your life. Uh, like relationships and uh, athletic endeavors. If you're, you know, in a season playing sport and that's making you nervous. Okay, now we're getting a different stressor in your life. You know, we've got a lot of pieces of the puzzle to play with. So um, I'm, I'm not anti-caffeine before workout. I think in the scope of what I do, trying to encourage people to uh, work out regardless of how they feel and not necessarily always trust their feelings um, first and foremost in their choices. You know, I'd say that it, I encourage people more often than not to train even if they're tired, to train if they don't feel like they're going to give it 100%. Like, like, what if you don't signal your brain and say, I, I've got to push hard and I, this is going to be pointless if I can't just go 110% and I've got to channel my inner David Goggins. Like, that's cool um, when you need to perform. But on a daily basis for most people, um, I'd say it probably contributes to more people cutting a workout out of their life instead of continuing the workout because they create this uh, pairing in their mind that uh, I can't do it tired or it's pointless if I do it tired. Mm -hmm. And for me, discipline is a little bit more than that. Um, and discipline's a little bit more powerful. So that's kind of a, a, a tangent maybe off of your oh, question, but uh, not at all. Not at all. I found that extremely insightful and it it brings me to something else in that someone else whose content or whenever they're on for example the, the jra or or whatever whenever they make a a podcast appearance i'm really intrigued by their way of thinking being the jujitsu coach john donaher um and one thing i learned particularly from john donaher obviously gordon ryan uh, and that group of people is Something that I, I I don't I don't know what it was about it, but it was almost like the penny dropped when they talk about the no days off philosophy, where similar tying into what you were talking about before, almost refusing outright to have that day off if you're not feeling great, if you can't give one hundred and ten percent, stretch a little bit more, do seventy five percent, but at least you didn't skip a day. So what is your opinion on that no days off philosophy? Because as I say, it's something that as of the last year or so, I've tried my utmost to stick by. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, my opinion kind of is more individualistic as a coach than um, maybe anything you could just globally put out there as like a truth. Um when I talk to athletes, when I train athletes, um, each and every one of them, we have a conversation about finding the part of themselves that gives them the best chance at becoming great. 
uh, and everyone's competitive advantage is is really different. Um, you know, if you're going to stick in your in the BJJ world, right, a Gordon Ryan versus like a Mikey Musumeci, like their competitive advantages are different. Their styles are different. I mean, let's just not not include their weight class differences, but you know what they use to compete at the highest level, like inside of themselves is different. And so if, if you are the person who gets a mental competitive advantage by walking and being like, I haven't taken a day off in a year. And I know that the dude I'm about to roll with has taken every Sunday off at all year. And, and that gives you a competitive advantage. I think it's, it's an asset. That being said, you know, as many examples as you have, let's do Gordon Ryan on one side and John Danaher. Oh, well, let's go to the other side of like Dan Gable, like all time greatest like wrestling coach. Um, you know, had an athlete at the university level who they had a team meeting without him present to make sure everyone was okay with sending him home from practice early every day. It's like, he can't give what he's got and stick out our entire three hour practice. Like he gets too distracted. It's just, it's not good for his mind. And so they had literally had true story team meeting. And the team was like, yes, we consent to him leaving practice early and training half of the time of the entire rest of the team right very different than maybe like uh uh dean smith put one basketball player in the middle of the court and make the entire rest of the team run right as punishment right a very different idea but you know that that wrestler and i don't have his name off the top of my head but we could dig it out um you know went on to win national championships this is not, I mean, that's not a never take a day off mentality. Um, which one's right? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm neither one are my athletes, you know, my athletes like are like, what type of person are you? I sat with a golfer a couple of months ago. He's like, man, it's such a mental sport. He's like, I just a high school golfer nationally ranked like I'm just playing really poorly right now I'm trying to balance everything in my life I'm trying to balance school and relationships and golf and training in the gym and I'm just trying to find balance and we get into this you know 45 minute conversation he said the word balance six times as a 17 year old and I looked across the table I'm like hold on do you is that how you want to be described in your life like you want people behind your back being like man like you know, uh, I'll use the name John for just simplicity. It's like, you know, John, John has such a, a balanced life, man. He's such a balanced person. Like that just, man, I'm just so impressed by how well he balances things. And, you know, this kid looks back across the table at me like I'm out of my mind. And I'm like, you're not a balanced kid. You know, balance is not what you do. Like you're trying to pursue balance at the uh, destruction of yourself and you are you give yourself the best chance at making the PGA one day by finding what your competitive advantage is going to be and leaning into it as hard as you possibly can so you know I I'm 
I'm more of an individualist than I am like a wholesale. Um, there's a right and wrong approach, uh, which is why I love stories like that from from Dan Gable. Definitely. And once you listen to Dan Gable and especially learn about his story, such an inspirational guy after you know what he's been through and, and what he's managed to achieve. Uh, so what I gleaned from that answer is, is again, it is very much subjective and what gives you as an athlete or as a trainer that competitive advantage, which uh, of course is probably the right answer and that there is no right answer. It's, it's, it's down to you. Um, something that I was interested to, to get into with you, which we did discuss pretty much off the bat, which is, is something particularly as somebody who's studied media at school, uh, studied business and media at university is the impact that digital and social media now has on people's lives. Um, uh, especially athletes in particular. Now I am in, you know, the, sure. sport, the sports sector. Uh, you know, we we've talked about a couple there, notably uh, Andrew Huberman, Jocko Willink. Uh, I'd probably be willing to put Joe Rogan into that category as well. In that they are people who try and use their platform uh, and their reach for the better. And there's needless to say that so many people use social media for the wrong reasons um sure. and obviously not to uh not to flatter you too much but i'd certainly put you in that group of people using social media for the better using your platform to help attempt make people's lives and physical health at least better and as somebody who balances owning a gym being a strength and conditioning coach and obviously as, as it sounds um, mentoring in a sense the lives of these young athletes how did the success of the instagram page in particular come about sure yeah great question um you know prior to january of what 2022 that we're now everything's time has been so strange since covid um but yeah, prior to the beginning of this year, right? So we are present day in November of 2022. I just, you know, normal, normal guy on social media posting, you know, whatever here and there, um, kind of just using social media for social reasons, like, like most people do. Um, and we kind of entered this year and I just... I wanted, you know, not to back up too much for the motivation of, of kind of changing my approach, but I didn't love using social media for social reasons, um, you know, because it, it can be just a huge, like, sink, and you can just use it to, to waste so much time and not improve the quality of your experience in your life, um, much less other people's experience in their life. But so, you know, the, the switch to being a professional on social media this year was kind of twofold. One, I didn't really want to use it personally anymore. Um, and I knew that if I switched over to professional, professional mode in my mind, that that would kind of take it away to a degree. Um, 
And then secondly, I just wanted to start creating assets. You know, the, the one, the one, the big downside of my job for myself um, is that everything that I do is essentially fleeting um, and is uh, all about delayed gratification. So people come into the gym like, hey, I need, you know, for this to happen. It's like delay gratification as hard as you can for as long as possible and you'll be more successful. And I love that as a thing to live by, but as a practice for over a decade, you know, at some point you're like, I kind of want some gratification, <laughs> you know, I want, you know, I want to see someone succeed and it be like done, which is what I, I love being in athletics for is I get to send, I get to send athletes into their sport. And then we say, all right, did we do a good job or not? Right. There's actually a test. And in just your typical post-collegiate wanting to get in shape, take care of themselves, prolong their life as, as, as much as possible. It's all about delaying gratification. Right. And, you know, I wanted to have a little bit more of some, Hey, look, I made this world. This is a thing that I did. And you can, you can like judge it if you want, you can use it if you want, but at least for me, I can say, this is a little mini project that I have to give to you. Um, for you, it's not necessarily, Hey world, look at this, look at me. It's, it's for the consumer. If that makes sense. To better yeah, it's my, I would say yeah, the, the benefit of hundred percent is, and the project is for me, you know, I have, it, it's very similar to, um, the four hour chef. So I'm sure, you know, four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Um, and they did a four hour body and they needed a four hour chef. And the, the four hour chef is his process of learning how to cook. And the only reason that he chose essentially teaching about the process of learning how to cook to write about was because he had no clue what he was doing when it came to cooking whatsoever. So he chose a subject where he had the least amount of knowledge and he would really have to learn it from scratch so he could document what it takes to really learn something well, right? So the book is about cooking and uh, being a chef and knife skills and, and all the things but it's really about the learning process and what it takes to go from a complete beginner to like um, top of the food chain, we'll say pun intended. Um, so, you know, in a, as he talks about that process, and this is a, an, an older book at this point, but um, he talks about how often our work lives now don't really have any, uh, completion like i'll sit at the computer and i'll send emails and i'll have conversations but at the end of the day it's like what did i do today like what what, what did i actually do today and so the process of cooking is like a little mini art project where when you're done you can say hey look i have this and this i made this you see it like hey world like i made this and you can you know if you have people over you can serve it to them and you can use it as this sense of completion in your life on a daily basis. And I think we all need those senses of completion and we are getting sucked away from that when we don't work with our hands as much. It's not like you start a project and then you look at it at the end and you're like, wow, like 
I just paved this patio or whatever, you know, that may be. So I wanted to get in to creating assets in a similar way where it's like one, if someone says, Hey, do you have any stuff that I can do for my shoulder? I can say, yeah, I made this, like, this is done already. You can take this, but also so that I could have a sense of completion in my job on a, on a more daily or weekly or monthly basis. And to be honest, I'd like to be doing that on YouTube in a more detailed coaching sense, like really trying to help people. And the, the new like reels, Instagram, TikTok format is to be honest, really like newbie user friendly. You're going to say, I, I, you know, at the time that I started posting, you had a one minute cap on your, your Instagram videos. Like if it was going to be a reel, it had to be under a minute. And so it's like, okay, I have a constraint now, right? My wife's an artist and she says often that, you know, discipline allows for freedom. Like the more discipline you have, the easier it is to have more freedom because you have constraints to live by. And so that one minute time frame on social media gave me the constraint to start creating Instagram videos instead of YouTube videos. Um, and that's honestly why it's Instagram right now, because I had access to it already. I wanted to take it away from myself and I wanted to start kind of prepping myself with creating to maybe create on a bigger scale moving forward okay. big answer i think no 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 no, no it, it it sent a lot of wheels turning in my head because as we were talking about before i have been very steadfast in that i do not have tiktok i hate this changing content which is more tailored towards that one minute clip or quick cuts constantly um yeah captions with background music where you've got to sort of really focus and I would counteract that in saying longer form content is probably again probably what we said before subjective in how people in people's learning styles but for me I have learned more from podcasts for example than anything I've ever learned in a in a classroom so sure. that, that long form delving into a to a topic or a, a subject with someone uh, obviously who who is knowledgeable um, in that matter is probably the way that I consume content. But as you say, that has sort of broadened my horizons in a sense in working within those confines, as you say, limits you to do almost do the best that you can with what you've got in a sense. So you've got sort of not necessarily limited resources, but obviously with a condensed time span, you need to, to, to get across what you want to get across. Now, essentially what I, as I said earlier, introducing into the podcast is that you have, have really helped my Instagram feed become a better place in that. So just a, a bit of background. Um, I dabbled in a lot of different sports when I was a kid, jujitsu, boxing. Uh, I didn't do kickboxing. My, my brother was a bit of a kickboxer when, when we were younger. But being in this part of the world, particularly uh, in Liverpool, in this city, football or soccer is a religion. Um, yeah. I, I come from a, a footballing family. 
Uh, my granddad played football. Uh, my cousin's a professional footballer. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, it's uh, not necessarily a regret, but something when I look back, I do wish I probably would have stayed within combat sport, sports a bit more, like boxing and jiu-jitsu, probably because of the discipline that that teaches you in later life. Uh, but because of the opportunities that presented themselves within football uh, around right. my early, you know, my early, younger teenage years, stuck within football. Um, I've mentioned a little bit of my past history to you uh, over Instagram, but I spent more time with the physio than on the pitch. Um, wow. Had hamstring surgery, a hamstring release when I was about 14, 15, a really tight hamstring. Uh, and I've got a history of knee dislocations, which aren't pretty. <laughs> They're really bad when they happen. Uh, touch wood, it's been a couple of years since I last had one. But that obviously put obstacles in my path in terms of, um, you know, a, a playing career in a sense. And I'm still within the industry. Um, I've gone to university and studied basically sports media, sports broadcasting. Um so I, I'm still within the industry and have a, a keen interest in it. In a sense, it's you know it's still, still my life, um, and I spend a lot of time, as I say, around people within the game, athletes as a whole. Um, on that theme, uh, I talk more in in particular about the health and well being of those and and stretching in particular, uh, in a sec. But going back to what we were talking about, social media and the negative impact and pitfalls that social media can have when you work with aspiring athletes for example is that something that you think falls on your shoulders to help navigate them from the negative aspects of social media and is it something that you've experienced yourself in the past sure yeah and i don't know if it falls on my shoulders um professionally but I think it falls on my shoulders individually I think that it's a goal of mine to to help athletes perform better in their lives you know to have more peace on a daily basis you know being a really competitive athlete with or without social media is a very chip on your shoulder thing to do you know I I'm I'm real with athletes and I'm like, hey, if you want to be the best in the world, you need a chip on your shoulder and it's not always going to be fun. Like you're going to like you're going to battle some demons trying to be the best in the world. Like watch any like look at anyone who's been the best in the world ever. Like they've they've had to fight through some uh some of their own internal demons even at that success right that's something you're gonna have to carry is a little bit of that with you you know that being said you can become the best in the world you can be a gold medalist and be depressed you know you can be miserable um you could have all of the following and the people who want your time and attention in the world and hate your life like that's a real thing that happens to people and so the earlier you can learn to balance that the better the the earlier you can learn to to find you know your contentment and your peace with where you are right now and also want more like that's a really hard line 
but it's an important one for people to learn. Like, you know, whether they're trying to change their uh, competitive nature or their body fat percentage, like you have to at some time say, I'm going to be really content with who I am right now as I sit, all things included. And I'm also going to want more uh-huh. because if you can't do that now, like you're, you're just going to have more success and be more, uh, in your head about it. Like you're, you're, you won't necessarily find success and find happiness. And while that's like kind of woo woo, it's who wants to be successful and miserable. <laughs> like the whole point of becoming successful is hopefully that you aren't miserable when you get there. 100%. Would you, would you say, and I, I, I think obviously this is again, a, a subject, a subjective answer on your part. Is that something that needs persistent uh reaffirming in a in a sense um one of, one of the best examples similar to what we're talking about i have ever seen is guy Ritchie on the joe rogan experience when he talks about owning the suit i don't know if you've ever seen that clip but is it it's a, a clip that i often go back to whenever i feel like i need a, a kick up the arse so to speak um he essentially says you know uh, so the saying goes don't hate the player hate the game but there's no point in hating the game because you're in the game in a sense so take responsibility with your life um and and the choices that you make uh, and i think once he he goes on a great sort of you know anecdote about how it's important to essentially take responsibility and, uh, and bear your cross as it were and uh, and rogan sort of responds with is this something that you you just the, the penny dropped and it sticks with you or something that you need to constantly reaffirm every day and straight away he said something that i constantly need to work on so sure. it's almost like that aspect of reminding yourself okay you are going to have bad days but as long as you sort of return to that sense of of contentment like you know it, it can always be worse and as you were saying sort of living with you living with yourself as you are um is is important i would say Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you're going to go like, wait, you know, you're going to rewind to other, you know, anecdotes. It's like art of war is like, if when you're high, you need to bring yourself back down. And when you're low, you need to bring yourself back up. You know, finding your baseline is, is a competitive advantage in war and life and everything. You know, if you're just going to ride the success or what happens when you don't have it. And if you're going to be taken down by everything that hard happens, everything hard that happens to you, you're probably not going to be, you know, any better off. Um, so I think there's, there's a, you know, daily affirmation element to that. Um, for sure. I think, you know, I, I tend to, like, I kind of class myself as a high school strength and conditioning coach. I work with kids in college and you know I spend a lot of time talking to guys who are playing professional sports and kind of consulting but I you know essentially take 15 year olds and I make them look like college seniors by the time that they're freshmen so they go to you know D1 you know NCAA and the U.S. kind of like university to compete at a very high level And I expect them as an 18 year old to walk in looking like a 22 year old instead of an 18 year old. That's like, that's my competitive advantage. What I give away. I think the, 
affirmation thing, you know, when I think about the athletes I work with, it seems like middle schoolers and young athletes can retain the same things that older athletes can. You just have to tell them more often. Like it's not, they're not any slower. They don't pick up on things, um, you know, emotionally at like a worse rate. They just forget faster. And, you know, there's some, there, there's, there's definitely something there in terms of how you deal with yourself in success um, of like a childlike thing that can be really helpful, you know, when you, you are willing to remind yourself of things and you are willing to be playful and like learn new skills, you know, as we age, we tend to get, you know, really constrained in, um, in like this path that we have and you kids, kids just don't do that. And that's, uh, it's why I love being a high school strength and conditioning coach, but, uh, getting a chance to affirm those things to them now, instead of having to be like you and I be like, Oh, you know, as you say, the penny dropped and now I get it. You know, that's, that's a huge part of what I do. It's a probably my favorite part of what I do. If I'm being honest, um, I've kind of always said that exercise is just like my modality. Like it's, it's how I express what I want to give away. And it's a beautiful, um, tool because hard work, like persistence, you know, the amount of effort you put in is the return that you get. Like you can learn all of those things by working out. The values that sports and exercise teach you is probably one of the best pearls of wisdom I was ever given at a young age. As I was talking about my granddad before, that was something that my granddad taught me and taught all of us grandchildren was soon as you can get involved especially with a team sport because of uh, not only those those values that it teaches you but the social aspect too friends things like that so definitely i agree with you there yeah yeah i mean i i i, I i've thought about this before i like look back on my life i'm like i wonder what it would be like to get to where i am and not know how to win and lose like that was just really normal you know we experienced that playing sports growing up like you just win sometimes and you lose sometimes and sometimes you play really good but your team loses and sometimes you play like crap and your team wins you know and, and I like those things are ingrained in you that are at least in me and I'm just like I it would be hard to know what it would be like to like deal with stress and losing and winning without having it been a part of me before I even knew who I was Right. Fun, fun question. Somebody asked me this yesterday. I'll try and remember it verbatim, but it was a, an interesting thing to, to think about. Would you rather never compete or every time you compete, you lose? Oh, man, that sounds like a, a lose, lose. Um, <laughs> would I never, would I rather never compete or every time I lose? Oh man, that's a really, really difficult choice because I, I really do believe it would be hard to compete long-term if you never won. Mm -hmm. If you always lost, like at some point, you probably wouldn't compete anymore anyways. And then you would, you know, you would only struggle. I've got a, we have a, a coach 
in our gym and you know he's a very phd like very smart person he's like you only win by failing like it's like you fail and then you learn sorry not win learn you only learn by failing like you have to fail to learn i'm kind of like well you're not wrong but if, if you always run into the door frame and you never get through the door you're probably not getting anywhere in life like you have to eventually have something to win um you know to to be motivated to keep compete to legitimately keep competing not just showing up to the competition but to actually compete so um i, I want to abstain from that question <laughs> oh, i chose to never compete all, all day all day i i the, as you've just alluded to there the, the mental aspect of always losing uh yeah. probably take it to tell but on a different note um similar to what i was talking about before um obviously because of some of the difficulties I've had, uh, most notably when it comes to, to my hamstring and my, and my knees, uh, I remember particularly after getting my hamstring surgery. Um, obviously, following the surgery, you 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 know you, you go to rehab, you see a physio, you're given a, a you know a rehab routine, you know do uh, so many sets of these exercises, uh, sure. but being 13, 14, whatever I was. All I wanted to do was play football, play football, play football. So yeah. admittedly, I didn't take the rehab as seriously as I should have. And sure. I've said, not necessarily I haven't sort of reaped the consequences of that, but I certainly think I would, would be in a better place if I had taken that seriously, if that makes sense. And oh, yeah. coming back to what I was talking about in that, on my social media feed, as we were as we were talking about before, uh, I literally have two social media accounts. I have one that I run the podcast on, where I follow. Um, it, it's like a professional Twitter, basically. I follow, you know, businesses, sports people, uh, and people of that nature. And then I've got my own personal Twitter, where you know it's social. I've got my friends on there. I've got family on there, and so forth. Right. And so on my on my social. Instagram, for example, as you say, it can bog you down in a sense that it's 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 almost you know keeping up with the Joneses. It's like he's done this, she's done this, da 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 da. da. Now on the explore page, I saw one of your stretching routine videos, or one of your reels, and I thought, you know what, I like it. I'll save it and I'll come to it when I'm in the gym, um, before after a workout. I'll I'll take myself aside go into a, you know, the, the studio that we have in our gym and grab a mat and, and do some stretches. Now, the algorithm being the way it is now, essentially, my Instagram is full of, of like rehab videos and, and stretching and, sure. and the better side of social media, in a sense. And, and this brings me more to, you know, your expertise of being a strength and conditioning coach. Simple question. How important is stretching? It depends, but that's going to be my answer always, all the time. Um, you know, I say that because it's not uncommon for people to be double jointed or hypermobile and to run into tons of issues as they kind of lean into continuing to stretch um, without 
without strengthening themselves. That being said, if you are like most of the people who start to use my, my work on social media, if you have been playing sports for a long time, you have a gym routine, a strength and conditioning routine, and you are not doing any kind of mobility work, it's paramount. Um, so, you know, to, to dive in a little bit to, you know, how mobility works in an essence is that mobility and stability are always opposites. So the more mobile something is, the less stable it is. And the more stable something becomes, the less mobile it is. And the, the trick and the key is to make sure that you have the right amount of mobility and the right amount of stability. So the best example I've ever had is, you know, if, if the door that I just closed gets stuck and it won't, it won't swing on the hinges anymore. And so I go in and I take all the screws out of the wall and the door falls over. Well, I just, I just exceeded its previous mobility but it has no more stability. And so it doesn't do its job the way it's supposed to, right? What I needed to do was, you know, grease the joints and allow it to swing freely and not take all the screws out of the wall. So, you know, your body is really just a big system, like your physical body. Uh, well, that's still your physical body. What I do for a living in you know, working with muscles and bones and tendons and ligaments, that part of your body is really just a big system of pulleys. So you've got these inert things called bones, then you have muscles that pull on bones. And it's really that simple. Then there's connection points with ligaments and tendons. And it's, it's, it's super simple, to be honest, like your joints were made to work a certain way. And it's my job to help people make sure that that's true. So when we get into like, something like your ankles, um, if you roll your ankle, which many, I'm sure many footballers have done and many people have done, you know, your propensity to continue rolling your ankle is exponentially increased because you destabilize that joint. And so now it doesn't have the stability it used to have prior. So it's easy to rock it over and, and continue hurting that same uh, joint. So in that case, we need to be more focused on stabilizing the joint from having that mobility um, rather than just mobilizing the joint. But, you know, that's a lateral deviation. If we're talking about like dorsiflexion or plantar flexion of the ankle, which is your ability to like push your toes down or pull your toes up. If you're missing a significant amount of dorsiflexion, which a lot of people are, then, you know, you might be increasing your ability to roll your ankle because you can't you can't give with it in the way that you should like you can't close that joint as far as you should you might be more prone to an acl tear because you know you can't use your ankle to decelerate as well as you should be able to and so you know an acl tear happens because your knee is bent and your femur continues to slide forward. This, this is my foot, it gets planted, and my, my femur continues to slide and then turns, and that, that ligament pops. Yeah, so it's a destabilizing of the joint, right? And my knees were only made to be mobile in certain range of motions. 
So, you know, if I take a hinge joint and I apply this, this twisting force to it and then bend it at the same time, we, you know, we have an issue. So, you know, as it goes to like back to your question, you know, how important is stretching is like the right muscles. It's, it's absolutely like a necessity. And honestly, it depends on the sport too, to the degree that you might want flexibility as well. Um, versus stability mm. and you know you got to look at yourself yourself honestly and say like where are my issues you know when somebody walks into my gym I don't just say hey there's your stretching routine I walk them through a 15 point screen and I look at every different pattern in their body and then we say hey this is what's tight this is what's too strong and this is what's too weak so you know you got to you don't have to like have a personalized plan, but honestly, most people should. And strength is a huge part of mobility. You know, if I want to increase my dorsiflexion, um, as we're talking about ankles, I not only need to loosen my calves, soleus and Achilles, which are the, on the back of the leg and they plantar flex the ankle, they push your toes down. They're the limiters to dorsiflexion. Well, I need to strengthen the creators of dorsiflexion, which is my tibialis anterior on the front of my shin, right? So if I have no bicep, I have essentially no elbow flexion, but that's what my bicep does. It flexes my elbow. It also decelerates elbow extension. Uh, like if you handed me a dumbbell and I lowered it down, right? My elbow is extending, but it's not my triceps that are doing that. So you know, for a joint to work properly, it's, you know, it's all about essentially making sure that one side is loose enough and the other side is strong enough. So there's a, you know, a big part of mobility, you know, I, I tend to not talk about, you know, flexibility a whole lot um, on my Instagram, because there's a whole lot of strength to mobility too. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. 100% of what you were talking about before about the ACL tear, I sort of took the philosophy and applied it to every time, well, near, sometimes I've done it in my sleep, which isn't pleasant, but I remember the very first time I dislocated my knee, I was in, I was in school, my foot, my foot was planted, someone shouted me from the other side of the room, and I rotated outwards whilst my foot was still planted, so... Oh. And the, the kneecap just obviously just slid out, which applying the, the same philosophy does make sense. And something that I, I wanted to, to ask you about in particular, uh, from a, a strength and conditioning perspective, is something that's happened to me more recently in that I, I don't tend to have the same issues with my upper body, completely fine when it comes to, to my upper body. But sure. I'm in a, in a phase of trying to progressively overload uh, what I can lift uh, for my lower body. So, you know, you know squats, deadlifts, uh, things of that nature. And sometimes, so, you know, leg day goes, I have a, you know, a good leg day, as we were saying before, probably consumed a shitload of caffeine and feeling good, have a good workout, uh, right. go to the gym the next week. And sometimes I can't hit the levels that I did the week before, can't lift as heavy can't lift as heavy the form isn't as good um now 
if this was one of your clients, how would you look to resolve that issue? Sure. Well, let's get a little bit more background. Um, are you like, you come in the next week, you're aiming for like a, a simple progressive overload and that you're trying to hit the same sets and reps as the prior week? Yeah, mostly. Okay. Um, is it certain lifts that you struggle to progress or like they, that you hit a wall, a wall on more than others, or does it tend to be all of the lifts? Mostly squats. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, twofold one, you know, when you're getting into, well, actually, let me ask one more question. Okay. What kind of uh, rep schemes are you working with? Not necessarily total sets, but like, let's say you're going to progress your squats. Are you aiming for a three, five, seven? Um, usually between eight and 10 reps, three sets. Okay. Yeah. So when you lift and you're trying to lift essentially as heavy as you can with good technique. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when you lift as heavy as you can, there's a huge nervous system component to lifting, not just pure physical force. So, you know, you'll notice, especially on the, the bigger lifts, that if your nervous system is run down, even if your body feels pretty good, you will struggle to move the weight. Like the days you get under the bar and you're like, this feels so heavy on my back today. Like my legs feel good, but even holding this weight, like it just feels like it's crushing me. Mm -hmm. and your, your nervous system is playing a massive role in your performance at um, that level of force. So you tend to see it even more so on things like deadlifts because there's such a big nervous system recruitment um, in deadlifting as compared to any lighter lift. Basically the stronger the lift, typically the more nervous system it requires yep. um so you could be looking at ner nervous system fatigue which is a huge part of just training and life in general is learning how to dance with your nervous system partly what um, we talked about before yep yeah and then you know if you've been training for a while you know you might just not be able to progressive overload the same sets and reps anymore um so you might need to go like if you've been training eight to ten like that's pretty high volume for something multi-jointed like a squat or a deadlift uh, or a pull-up um you know we get into this like functional movement realm where it's like if it requires more than one joint we call it functional and if it only requires one joint it's either called physical therapy or bodybuilding um, so, you know, eight to 10 is, is a lot in that kind of realm, like in terms of a squat, like that's almost in like bodybuilding realm where you're like training for mass more so than strength because of the time under tension. There's three reasons a, a muscle progresses. Uh, one is overload. And that's what most people try to do. Just add more stress overload. Uh, two is time under tension, the amount of tension the the time and the amount of tension the muscle is under during a set that's where using things like negatives comes in or you're like in a lower for four seconds and stand back up and then three the amount of metabolic byproduct buildup that you uh get into a muscle that's a signal for growth as well so like chasing a pump isn't all 
it's not like all bodybuilding like aesthetic it, it has a real signal in your body for development so it's kind of like our three main ways that we train muscles overload time under tension and building metabolic byproduct lactic acid things like that so um you know if you're in a phase now where you're you're chasing eight to ten and you're struggling to progress you you know you're probably at the upper end of your current strength for that kind of uh rep range and so what we're going to want to do over time is push your raw strength up a little bit higher and then come back into your more hypertrophy range you know eight to ten eight to twelve sets and reps um i don't pro to be to be honest, unless you told me you're like a bodybuilder and you're training for mass, I probably would almost never program eight to 10, um, like back squats for you. You know, uh, I would be using something like that to just kind of generally increase your overall strength and then using more isolated moves to like attack your quads or your hamstrings or your glutes uh, in like accessory work land uh but that's you know that's a personal choice maybe um then it is like a right or wrong so what i would do is like three sets eight to twelve you know what i would do now is i'd bump it to four sets but i cut it down to like five to eight reps yeah yeah okay and then but you know then you could cut it down to five and three you know two to four reps or three to five reps um, and that way you'll be able to progress your numbers. Now that's, a that's, you know, on more of a strength programming side, if you are chasing hypertrophy more then we're going to want a little more stress than that. Um, so, you know, we might play around with your sets and reps in a different way. Just add a set, go, go away from three by three by eight to 10 and instead do four by eight to 10 just add in a whole extra set you know the goal with progression is not actually that you beat last time it's that your total volume beats last time ah okay so if you were to take you know 10 reps at 100 pounds then you know the simplest way to think about is that's a thousand pounds lifted you did 10 reps at 100 pounds right if i come back in the next week and i did 12 reps at 100 pounds i just did 1200 pounds lifted and that is a signal for stress of my body and development. Right? My body at the end of the day does not care what weight is on the bar. Like it doesn't matter at all. My body is simply responding to stresses. I put a little bit of stress on my body. I allow my body to recover and then I apply another stress. And when I do that consistently enough, my body will adapt to the stress because it's an efficiency machine. Like your body cares about survival and it cares about nothing else. If you get cold enough, your body will sacrifice your hand to keep you alive with frostbite. Like literally your body is a survival mechanism and survival is achieved with efficiency. The more calories you can conserve, the more efficient you are, the better your chance of survival, right? the less energy something takes, the better your chance of survival. So continually adding a stress to your body puts you in a position to next time the same stress happens, it requires less energy 
So your body now has a better chance at survival. And that's the same with running. You know, if you are running all the time, your body is going to try to find ways to make that more efficient, which is an improved either, you know, we look at it as performance gains, your body looks at it as an improved, you know, uh, an improvement in efficiency. But that ties into mobility a little bit as well, not to like keep fishing around and in, in like in tangents, but, you know, if I, if like, let's say I'm a footballer, um, if my, and I'm running and I'm shifting my weight kind of constantly, that requires a ton of hip stability and a ton of ankle stability. So over time, without some um, intentional, um, like, without an intentional intervention, that stability in my ankles and in my hips is going to create is like, is an advantage, right? It's an efficient advantage. I no longer need to use muscles really to stabilize my hips and to stabilize my ankles because they're just doing it already. I'm using muscles still. That was a bad way to say it. I no longer need energy I understand, yeah. because the muscles are just shorter. They're just living in a shorter position and that stability is efficient. And so there's like this um, like weird ebb and flow to like, what are you doing? What's it gonna create inside of you? And how do we need to potentially um, deal with that stress or create new stress that will help us regain an advantage? So partially answer your question, partially went on a tangent. No, 100% man. I've I've missed having these conversations so much, particularly when I did play team sports. We'd we'd have some strength and conditioning coaches, and we'd have these sorts of conversations with them, and and go away and implement our plans. And you know, it it's been a while since I've played team sports, so to just sit and sort of be subject to the sorts of, as you say, the, the tangents. Although they may be tangents, they're still so informative, man. So thank you very much for the the time and the effort you put into that little case study that I presented you with there. Um. Now, I am conscious that I have taken up a fair bit of your time, Seth, and I just wanted to ask, uh, to, to round up the podcast, obviously you're, you've got a hugely successful Instagram page, uh, and as you say, that uh, switch to a professional mindset, I think as I've gleaned that has benefited you a hell of a lot in your usage of social media. You talked about you know, the, the, the change in content, the confines that you're dealing with in, uh, and and the, the flirtation almost with, with YouTube as a platform, um, not only in a in a social media context, but as far as your career as a strength and conditioning coach, what do you hope to achieve? Let's say moving forward, short term, long term. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful question. I'm glad to kind of jump in on it because, you know one the social media thing was like all right let's push open the social media professionalism for me this year was like the, with the idea let's push open as many doors as we can and see what happens like i'm at a point in my career where it could go a lot of ways like i could to be honest i could essentially retire and like just be in my mid-30s and like i don't know what i would do with my time and i don't want that um you know i've I've worked hard enough in my business that, you know, 
social media could go away and and I could just keep the gym running and really rarely have to be in there and start passing off the things that I do to someone else. Like, I don't know if that's next for me is trying to teach other coaches and trainers how to be great coaches and trainers. But, you know, the pursuit of social media in, you know, 2022 was let's just just roundhouse kick as many doors open as possible and see like see what's next um and I'm at a point in my career where I want to I I I want to spend more time talking to people um and having conversations and kind of giving away uh knowledge that I've attained by like grinding coaching for 12 hours a day for 10 years um you know on one hand you'd be hard pressed to find a coach who's coached more than me in the last 10 years I mean 12 hours a day with different people too not just like the same group of people but you know 12 hours a day five days a week for 10 years is an easy average of my time not doing this and not thinking about coaching, but literally working with people um, like from a hands-on perspective. And that has um, been a huge asset to my career, but I don't think I'm at the place where I could go back to doing it again, like jump back into 12 hours of coaching a day. Like I'm not in my mid twenties anymore. Um, so, you know, I'd like to say, and this is not necessarily an answer to your question, but one, I don't know how many people the, this podcast will reach, or maybe this is just for you, but, you know, I started 2022 with my Instagram page at like 1400 followers, like in January, yeah. that's the same year. So we're, you know, 11 months later and I'm not at 1400 anymore. Um, Isn't that like a hundred, a hundred K plus? I'll... I'll probably, I'll hit 200,000 in the next couple of weeks. Um, so one, you know, if, if someone's out there or if it's you in this podcast who are like, ah, I wonder if you can still like do this and how quickly and like, is it worth an investment? Like I can say firsthand, you can definitely do it. You know, if you want to start giving away expertise or creating a following, or just kicking doors open and see where it leads, it's still possible. Um, you know, and you might say, well, you have a decade of, you know, training. It's like, yeah, that's true. But what I do in any given video on social media, you could do with an hour of research. Like if you were willing, I tell this to everyone now, if you're willing to put in one hour of research and condense it down to one minute of information that's entertaining and people are going to want to watch, you can do what I've done in the last year. Now you got to put in the time to do the research, but you don't need the prerequisite knowledge in a, in a year of doing that three times a week, an hour of research, and then teaching it to someone else, you'll be an expert in a year if you're willing to like put the time in. So you weren't necessarily asking me to encourage anyone out there, but you know, if, if. Oh, it's where, if, the, it's where the magic is, man. As you were saying, making that shift to communicating with people, part of the reason why I have the podcast, the, the magic is in that communicating with people. Yeah, for sure. So, 
you know, next part of my life, like I, I'm not entirely sure. I'd like to be again making assets that uh, are helping people without having to continue to work, right? So you got like liabilities that cost you things, you got assets that, you know, you don't get anything from upfront, but then long-term you, they still have value, right? I'd like to be making more digital assets uh, in the next couple of years of my life and trying to help as many people as possible. We have one marketing plan at my gym and that's do more good. We're trying to help more people and help people more. Like we have our current clientele and the goal is to help them more. And then over time, help more people more. Like it's, it's really that simple. And that's, you know, that's how I survived being a trainer during COVID and getting shut down for six months because it's a lot easier to maintain a purpose than it is to maintain a business. And so, you know, my pursuits over the next couple of years are more purpose-driven, I guess, than they are business-driven. Um, and it's, you know, it's why I'm, ha I'm happy to like, you're like, hey, you want to jump on a podcast? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you don't have to twist my arm, you know, it's like, I, I, uh, I want to just do more stuff like this with my time and have conversations and, and, and coach people, but I don't have aspirations of, you know, being like, some professional athlete, strength and conditioning coach. You know, I don't have aspirations of, you know, being at the university level and winning a national championship or anything like that. Uh, I never have wanted my job to be dependent on someone else's performance. You know, I've, I've wanted to be like, I want my my living to be dependent on how well I do. And you know, at the high school level, I get that still. Um, the day-to-day -day interactions with people at the gym, I get the experience. And then I'm lucky to have social media at this point to, to take what I'm doing and just kind of like put it out there. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be, man. You, you seem like you're in a, a really good headspace. And going back to what we were talking about before with, with Tim Ferriss and um, you know, showing people, uh, embracing that learning cycle uh, and showing people, you know, this is how you do it too. This is my thing. I'm I'm trying to help you. I I I admire that a lot. Um, and uh, as I say, man, uh, as you know, as people, uh, particularly around you know my age and younger, we spend a hell of a lot of time, maybe too much time, on social media. So I would just like to say thank you for for making my social media feed a better place. And it was a pleasure to meet you, man, and a pleasure to, to talk to you about things that haven't i haven't heard for for a number of years in terms of the the feedback of a, a strength and conditioning coach I, I really enjoyed it and in future um if there's anything that you, that you come across anything that you discover that you want to share with the world man just just give me a shout and we can do another podcast yeah absolutely man i really appreciate this and you're you know i'll in this in a way by saying like you're doing a great job man you're well spoken you're you've thought this through you're thinking about what i'm saying and then it's you know eliciting new ideas without forgetting like that's i think most people uh discredit how difficult that is um you know until you've been there and done it so you know it's it's definitely i appreciate being a part of something that you're taking seriously and uh you know having a conversation with you about it 
Thank you, sir. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah, yeah, it was nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you.